I'm Leslie Canham. I'm Mary Gavoni. I'm Linda Harvey. I'm Olivia Wan, and together we are the Compliance Divas. Welcome to the Compliance Divas podcast. Is your job a real pain? How do we integrate ergonomics in a dental office? Today's topic focuses on just that, ergonomics. As the Compliance Divas, we bring clarity and simplicity to compliance by navigating regulatory compliance to keep you on course. Please subscribe to the Compliance Divas podcast through your favorite podcast channel or on the website, thecompliancedivas.com. Any resources that we mentioned during our podcast can be found at thecompliancedivas.com. Also, you can submit your questions to support at thecompliancedivas.com. I'm really anxious to talk to Mary because Mary has had a background not only as a dental assistant, but also as a dental hygienist. So Mary, I'm anxious to get your feedback. How musculoskeletal disorders affected dentistry, especially hygienists? Thanks, Olivia. Um, And not only do I have that experience working in the clinical side of dentistry, I actually suffered um, ergonomic injuries early on in my career that actually prevented me from continuing clinical practice as an assistant or hygienist um, because I tried to work through uh, my symptoms of carpal tunnel syndrome. And then when I had surgery to correct it, I didn't make changes when I went back to work. And I did the same thing over and over again that caused the carpal tunnel syndrome and it recurred. So we have seen a huge impact of ergonomics. In hygienists, we see the prevalence of ergonomic injuries more in their hands and wrists, some in their necks and some in their low back. But um, in dentists, we see more neck and back injuries, also dental assistants having carpal tunnel syndrome. But the the injuries that are happening to hygienists can truly be career ending and, and disabling. And they come from behaviors. So awkward postures, static posture, staying frozen in place for long periods of time and bad habits in terms of um, how we sit improperly on our, around our equipment. And of course, repetitive motion when hygienists were, primarily hand scaling their patients, they had very high prevalence of carpal tunnel syndrome um, symptoms. And that has lessened slightly with use of ultrasonic or mechanical scalers. But in ergonomics, you may fix one problem and, and swap it out for another because you still have some issues with vibration from those mechanical scalar um, hand pieces holding them. So we have to pay attention, of course, to posture. We have to pay attention to um, our seating. And then we have to look at equipment designs because not all dental treatment rooms are designed ergonomically. The patient chair has to be one that, that the healthcare provider can adapt to in good posture. And in many cases, 
the focus of the design is on the patient, but the patient is not the one that spends all the time around the chair. So there's lots and lots of factors there in, in um, ergonomics that we need to pay attention to. What I believe happens is that we get so focused on providing care for our patients that we sacrifice our bodies to dentistry. We hurt ourselves in order to provide good care for patients. Good points, Mary. Thanks for that information, especially your firsthand experience. Linda Harvey was unable to be with us, but like Mary, she served as a dental hygienist prior to becoming a professional consultant in risk management. And Linda provided some interesting statistics that I would like to review. And this information was published by the American Dental Association some years back that of the dentists who were surveyed just in the United States, 67% suffered with neck pain and 65% of dentists suffered with lower back pain. So we, we can certainly see that musculoskeletal disorders plague the dental industry due to that awkward posture, as you mentioned earlier, Mary. Several years back, I was at a dental meeting and I was watching the crowd talk and communicated and I was observing a circle of older dentists speaking to one another and all of them were leaning forward with their necks as they were engaging in conversation. They all had this neck protruding forward with their head and we can see that comes from years of leaning in toward the patient. And so we want to look at, you know, what is that ideal posture for a dental professional and for our heads, they should be inclined slightly forward, but not so much forward that it's causing pressure on our neck, resulting in neck pain. Also, our torso should be upright and try to keep our shoulders down and our arms relaxed towards our trunk. And everyone would surely agree that when we're having a stressful day, doesn't matter if you're clinical in dentistry or admin or whatever, uh, as a lawyer, and I sit at my desk all day, if it's stressful, we tend to bring our shoulders upward, which can result in tension and pressure. Our wrists should be in a neutral position. So we see with hygienists, if they're curving their hand and wrist, that causes a lot of problems, as you were mentioning earlier. And our seated posture, you know, whether you're a dentist, hygienist, dental assistant, or even admin person, you want to try to keep the seating height at knee height and use a, a stool. And for admin people, if they're sitting all day, maybe a stool for their feet. And one of the big things they can incorporate is movement throughout the day. That's key. I worked with a client years ago that had a treadmill in her office and I was kind of snickering about it, but she explained that she encourages all of her employees to take at least 10 minutes of the day and walk on the treadmill to get their body back into a neutral position. But I'd love to get Leslie's feedback. Leslie served as a clinical dental assistant for many, many years. And so she understands firsthand about musculoskeletal disorders that can affect dental assistants. So Leslie, what can you share with us? 
Well, uh, thank you, Olivia. I actually started out stand-up dentistry. And when the time came to do four-handed sit-down dentistry, I actually had to take a class along with the dentist to learn how to do that, learn how to pass instruments and actually learn how to be in a chair as opposed to be on my feet. Now, I remember that uh, when I was standing, I would have to crane my neck around to get a good view of uh, being able to see what was going on in the patient's mouth. And to be a good dental assistant, evacuation required me to make sure that I held my arm steady. And things changed quite a bit for both me and for the dentist that I worked for at the time when we learned how to do forehanded sit-down dentistry. We were more comfortable. It was less exhausting. We were more stable. And we were able to provide more accurate and efficient treatment as well as go home at the end of the day without sore feet. So for dental assistance, the optimal seating allows for easier access and proximity to the patient. So the assistant should be on a stool so that his or her eyes are 15 to 20 centimeters higher than the dentist's eyes. And of course, there should be foot support on that stool. And uh, you should be able to have enough room to allow you to work both in the oral cavity and outside because uh, most of the time we are uh, retrieving instruments or, or mixing and handing off materials. So it's not solely focused on the oral cavity. When we're in that position, it reduces fatigue, uh, it stabilizes us with holding suction, and enables us to properly hand over instruments to the dentist. Um, experts uh, actually, actually exerts the least amount of force on the patient's soft tissue, meaning the lips and the tongue, when we're evacuating or retracting. Uh, there's also some nice uh, principles for performing four-handed dentistry, but uh, a lot of dental practices are set up for right-handed dentists and left-handed dentists or dental assistants who are using right-handed dental facilities may be at higher risk of developing musculoskeletal complications. So it may be something that would be uh, to be considered whether ambidextrous or left-handed dental chair models should be purchased for that practice. Olivia? Great information, Leslie. Thank you so much. Mary, I'd like to go back to you for a minute or two and have you talk with us about your experience with gloves and getting the proper size and fit uh, with gloves and how that can affect hand and wrist disorders. Absolutely. Now, I know that many practices right now are challenged with obtaining the type or the brand of gloves that they love. But from an ergonomic standpoint, what you want is a glove that meets certain ergonomic certifications. And there actually is a certification for glove manufacturers where they use a different kind of a mandrel um, when the gloves are dipped in the material that the gloves are made from so that there is not a hand that is perfectly flat and the thumb is um, right up against the index finger. It's actually a flexed hand model that's dipped. So that's going to allow for flex of the glove. A lot of times um, team members want to wear a glove that's perhaps a size too small because it's the snugger 
seems to give them more tactile sense, but wearing a size too small puts tension on your thumb. And that's the, 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 um, finger that you flex more than any when you're, um, when you're working. So best case scenario would be gloves that are truly right, left, not ambidextrous. They may be hard to find. They may be more expensive right now, but then the next best thing would be to look at a company, um, look, research gloves that actually have an ergonomic certification on them so that we know that they're manufactured to certain standards to help prevent injuries to the hand, because that's where a lot of people develop those carpal tunnel symptoms of pain and numbness in the thumb, index finger, and the medial part of the middle finger. And it makes it very difficult for scaling procedures. And one other thing that I wanted to add, um, Olivia, when you were talking about the neck position, and, and I've talked to many dentists over my career that have had to quit practicing dentistry because of neck injuries, the, the advent of, of the use of loops has tremendously helped out um, the prevention of neck injuries. However, the one piece of advice I would have for our listeners is if you are going to start wearing loops, do not have your focal distance or your angle of declination on your loops measured in a convention center at your state or, or a national meeting. Have someone come to your office and measure it in your work environment so it will be more correct. And if it's not feeling right, have it fixed. You may not get that right or corrected right away. If you have existing loops, you can have those modified to fit you better. And that's so important um, to make sure. And I think even because we have so many dental assistants now that are doing expanded functions, they can benefit from wearing loops as well to keep their head more upright, have a larger image um, in the mouth to work with. And it makes all the difference in the world. That's great information, Mary. Thank you for elaborating on that. A couple of years ago, I met a dental hygienist in an office where I was consulting that was employed. She was employed in that practice 50 some odd years. So she started out as a very young woman, one of the first dental hygienists and had served that practice through three generations of dentists. And they allow her more time with her patients. And they said, it's not because she takes longer clinically, but she has served these patients for three generations. And they have a lot of catch up with their families and their children and whatnot. But I was very anxious to interview her and get her feedback on how she was able to serve as a dental hygienist that long a period without retiring early particularly caused by musculoskeletal disorders. And what she had said to me was that she's always been a walker. So instead of going home and starting in on chores or sitting down and watching TV to relax, she walks several miles a day. And that we know is excellent advice for keeping ourselves healthy and returning to neutral position. So finding some kind of exercise that we enjoy. I've worked with some dentists that like yoga or they like to go to the gym or they have 
for me, I hate going to the gym. So one of the things I enjoy is riding a bicycle, but finding something that we enjoy. And of course, eating right, having good, healthy habits. And it's hard in a dental office because there's always bowls of candy in the break room and sweets and treats. And so that can make it difficult. So we find that this is a timely topic. And Mary, I'd love for you to give us another tip, please, before we close. Thank you. You are so right about the exercise um, because it does contribute to your overall health and it does help relieve stress. But the one thing that I always advise people to do is make sure that you are stretching. You should stretch in the morning before you start your patients. You should stretch at the end of the day, but you can also do simple stretches in between patients. Things like rolling your shoulders forwards and backwards because you are hunching over just a little bit, or maybe you have the bad habit of hunching over a lot. But even things like placing your the palm of your hand upright, um, flat, and then just pushing gently down on each of your individual fingers to stretch your hands opposite the gripping you've been doing all day. So stretching is really, really critical to maintaining muscle flexibility. Good point. And these are things that we can do, as you said, between patients or even while the patient is waiting to achieve anesthesia, back up a little bit and stretch out those arms, pull your thumb back, palm upward. So there's things that we can incorporate in our daily routine that does not cause uh, us to get behind our schedule and promotes good body health. So this has been a great topic. We really appreciate the divas giving us their information and experience, particularly from their years of serving as clinical hygienists and dental assistants. As the Compliance Divas, we bring clarity and simplicity to compliance by navigating regulatory compliance to keep you on course. Please submit your questions to support at thecompliancedivas.com. You may look at the resources on our website, and if you have any questions, please let us know.